Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the early service. Glad that you're here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, and I want to welcome all of you. I want to welcome another group of people that are with us today sitting over here on my left. We want to welcome the staff of Camp Furwood that has joined us for church this morning. I'm glad that they're here. We are going to dive right in. I don't have a fancy introduction, so if you've got your outline, your app, or whatever it is that you need to get to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, that's where we're going. Let's get to work. As a pastor, I'm very comfortable with the topic of death. I go to death scenes. I plan and execute funerals. I visit hospice house and the hospital on a regular basis, and I'll be honest with you, I have had to become comfortable with the topic of the end of life. What helps me with that topic is the fact that I know exactly where I'm going. I understand that death is simply a doorway for a follower of Jesus, but I also understand that my level of comfortability with death is not like most other people. For most people, they avoid the topic of death at all costs. They don't want to talk about it. They're not comfortable with it. I experienced this yesterday afternoon at Fred Meyer. I'm standing in line waiting to check out. I've got my little pile of stuff, and there's a little guy in a shopping cart in front of me, and he shoots me with his finger guns. He's just like, pow, pow, pow. And I'm just laughing. I'm just like, it's just a kid, like no big deal, right? The lady behind me freaked out. She freaked out. She's like, stop that. Just stop that. I wanted to turn around and go, pa-pow, just because. I mean, I'm just like, like, just relax, okay? She's thinking death, serial killer. I'm just like, he's this big, right? We all face, we all face death, and it's hard. Our family, our church family has been touched by death. Again, just this past week. 
one of our interns from 2015. His name was John. John battled cancer with everything that he had. Went home to be with Jesus. It's been a tough week talking about this topic. Well, today we're going to face death head on. Because Solomon wants... Now, Solomon needs us to come to grips with this truth. It's only when you acknowledge that you're going to die someday that you can truly live. It's an important part of life. So I hope you're ready for this. I wouldn't ask you if you're excited because if you said yes, that would be weird. But we're going to just dive in to Ecclesiastes 9. Solomon starts talking. He says, so I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in the hands of God. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny. There it is. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. So there's the happy thought for church this morning. It's a beautiful sunny day. You're thinking, why did I come inside? Because Grant's going to tell us all morning long, you're going to die. That's the reality of it, right? Solomon continues. As it is with the good, so it is with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. Remember that little phrase, under the sun, it means life without God. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil. And there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion, okay? Solomon is saying, here's the deal, all right? You got to come to grips with it. I know you don't like it, but you got to get your head wrapped around this. You're all going to die, but here's the encouragement. You're living now. You're living today. I love his reasoning in that last verse. It's better to be a mangy, flea-bitten, fur-missing, ugly dog with no teeth and rabies Better to be that than to be a majestic lion that's dead on the side of the road. Okay? So while there's life in you, there's hope in you. So we have today, just today, to make life count. He goes on in verse 5. He goes, for the living know they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward. Even their name is forgotten. And that's true, right? I meet people with all different kinds of faith systems and philosophies, and they're believing, some of them are believing in this faith system or that faith system or the empirical scientific method. They're atheists, they're agnostic, whatever it happens to be. And yet they all still have to come back to this basic, simple uh, fact of life. And that's the fact that this, while you're living, you need to have some conscious understanding of the fact that it's going to end. It's going to end. But here's the hope. While you're alive, knowing that the end is coming gives you an opportunity today to really and truly live. Keep going. Verse number six. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. So let me just summarize Solomon's wisdom. We've already said it at least three times. We're going to go for number four. Here's Solomon's wisdom. We have to get this. One fate awaits us all unless Jesus comes back today. I think it'd be good. All right. I'm voting for that. One fate awaits us all. So make your life count. Some of you are wondering, okay, how? How? Solomon's going to tell us for the rest of the chapter how to make this day count for the rest of eternity. Parts of it you're going to love, parts of it you're not. 
Verse number seven. Some of you are like, I already like how this one starts. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. Some of you are thinking, I like that verse. That's the one I'm going to hold on to. I got this one down. I can check this box. This is my actual love language. I love this. Solomon says, go get some food, whatever you like. For some of you, good food is a perfectly grilled ribeye steak with mushrooms and onions and a baked potato on the side smothered in artery-clogging sour cream and bacon, right? You're just like, that's what I'm talking about, all right? For some of you... It's a freshly caught filet of salmon from the Pacific Northwest with dill sauce and asparagus. Some of you haven't eaten yet today. <laughs> For some of us, mac and cheese and a root beer, call it good, right? That's just really, really good. Whatever it is, Solomon says, eat it with gladness because God gave it to you. And the Bible goes on and says, drink your wine. It's biblical, okay? My Baptist upbringing hates that verse, but it's biblical, all right? I prefer an ice cold Pepsi, just my, that's just my decision, okay, all right? So it says, drink your wine, it's biblical. Don't get drunk, it's biblical, all right? <laughs> eat and drink with gladness, but understand this, the reason you can eat and drink with gladness is not just because the food is really, really good, it's because you're eating it with the approval of God Almighty himself. Here's Solomon's wisdom, okay? Eat dinner biblically. Eat dinner biblically. There's a biblical model for dinner. We don't think about this very often. All through scripture, there's all of these meals, right? The marriage supper of the lamb at the end of the book, it's going to be a good banquet. Don't miss it. The Passover meal, the last supper, God has a thing about gathering his people around good food and he blesses it. And it's supposed to be, according to scripture, a time of, of, of lingering and not being in a hurry and enjoying food and laughter and connecting and pressing beyond the surface into the depth of human experience. The biblical model for dinner is actually rooted in the same ancient word that we get the word Sabbath out of. It literally means to savor it. To savor it. It means to savor both the food and the shared experience of being surrounded by people that we love. Now, can we be honest for a second? Does a slow connecting experience describe dinner time at your house? Some of you are like, <laughs> dang. Come on, Grant, be real. Like, we eat bad pizza in the van between soccer games. Like, that's how it works for us, right? We don't, we don't savor food. We hoover it down like a vacuum system. It's like put it out, that dinner, right? And that's supposed to be good, right? We don't connect. We're too busy connecting on our phones. We're too busy doing vapor to enjoy dinner. I mean, this is the cycle for so many of us, right? It's like, come on, kids, get up, eat something, get to school, school's over, get your cleats, put on your uniform, get in the car, eat this, read this text from dad. He says he loves you if you score a goal tonight, right? Go home, clean up, sleep and repeat. You know what's crazy? We call that normal. I have a question. 
Let me get into your business. Would God Almighty approve of your dinner experience? A couple of years ago, Laurel and I got to go to Sicily to meet with one of our global partners, and we're sitting at a restaurant in Catania, Sicily, and I had heard that Sicilian spaghetti carbonara was like the apex of the culinary experience. So I ordered it at the restaurant until Pastor Francesco Romeo, who's sitting across from me on the table, looks at me and he goes, Grant, no, no, I will cook. I will cook. The next night, we went to Pastor Francesco and Melita's house. They cleared out the living room and put out a table so that all of us could get around it at the same time. His whole extended family filled that living room. And even though I don't speak Italian and they don't speak a lot of English, the language barrier didn't matter. There was food and laughter and wine and drink. It was amazing. It was deep. And I kept thinking as I was eating this incredible dish. I mean, it was the most incredible dish I've ever had. I just kept thinking, you know what we're doing tonight? We're not having dinner. We're practicing for heaven. We're practicing for heaven. Solomon keeps pleading with us. If you really want to enter into these deep, rich moments, if you want to leave meaningless behind and move towards meaningful, then you have to be willing to go deep. And it starts with dinner. After the service, I'm going to give you homework. I'm sending you to IHOP this morning, okay? (laughs) Not dinner, it's brunch. But what if we had a different model than how we normally do it? Let's keep going. Verse number eight, always be clothed in white. Always anoint your head with oil. White garments throughout scripture are a picture of both purity and servanthood. At the end of the Bible, there's a wedding and the bride, the church of Christ, wears white. Not because she deserves to, but because the bridegroom Jesus has washed all of her sin away. It's a beautiful picture. That's one picture of white garments. There's another picture all through scripture about white white garments, and that is the righteous white garment of a servant. Here's Solomon's point. You're going to enjoy good food with God's blessing. You've been blessed, but make sure you use that blessing to serve other people and share. Don't keep the experience to yourself. I remember as a youth pastor, I used to take high school kids to inner city Los Angeles, and we used to go and serve. One of my favorite places was to serve at the Lord's Kitchen. The Lord's Kitchen was founded by Dr. E.V. Hill, my favorite preacher of all time. And and basically, when you showed up at the Lord's Kitchen, they asked you for 50 cents. Breakfast cost 50 cents, but in brackets on the sign in front of it, it says 50 cents if you have it. So they fed everybody, didn't matter who it was. We would serve faithfully at the Lord's Kitchen. And at the Lord's Kitchen, that's where I met a man by the name of One-Armed Randy. That's what they called him. One-Armed Randy. And it's fairly obvious why they called him that, right? Keep up with me, 930, okay? All right? Had one arm, all right? So we're at the the Lord's Kitchen. And Randy was tough. Randy worked as the doorman, okay? You didn't get into into the facility unless Randy said you could come in. And he made sure there weren't more than four people in line at the buffet. I mean, that's just the way it was. Took a little tray, oatmeal and toast and coffee. Basically, that was breakfast. It was fantastic. And Randy kind of ruled the roost there. And the morning we were there, the very first time I ever showed up, we ran out of food. There were still people standing out in a line. So we told our whole team, hey, guys, no breakfast for us this morning. And and it's okay. I could stand to skip a couple of meals. Let's be honest. Most of us could. We're not going to die if we miss a meal, right? So we stepped back and 
let everybody else go through and when we were finished, we're cleaning up the kitchen and we're cleaning up the buffet line and they'd put a tray aside for Randy because he was working the entire time and he comes and sits down beside me with his tray and he looks at me and I haven't got anything and he looks back at his tray and I was okay with having nothing, but Randy was not. So he pushed his tray right into the middle of the two of us and gave me that look like, eat. <laughs> and we did. And we kind of giggled because I had a right arm and he had a left arm and, <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> and something clicked between the two of us. We were united in serving. It's a simple appeal to serve. That's what it is. So enjoy your food, but serve and bless You've been blessed to be a blessing, so actually go out and do that. And then the next phrase is interesting. It says, always anoint your head with oil. It's interesting. It's an Old Testament picture of Solomon's wisdom saying, open your heart to the Holy Spirit of God. It's an incredible picture. And Solomon is saying, so here's the deal. As you live your life today, enjoy your food, be a blessing, serve other people, but be filled, spirit-filled as you make today count. Be spirit-filled at the dinner table, Okay. Be filled with the Spirit as you're eating, all right? Just don't speak in tongues with your mouth full. I'm just saying that, okay, all right? So 4% of you got that joke, all right? Stay with me, all right? Be Spirit-filled as you bless others with the blessing that you've received. Be filled at all times and allow the Spirit of God to take you deep and deep and deep. Here comes verse 9. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. All the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All of your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Okay, can we just stop here for just a second? Quick refresher. Solomon had 700 wives, 300 concubines, fancy term for 300 casual sex partners. How hypocritical is this, right? Enjoy life with your wife. Really? Really? You know, this has struck me over and over again. If you do historical study on the life of Solomon, you understand something. Most of his wives, most of his marriages were economic unions. They were political agendas. How tragic is that? God told him not to do it. He said, do not do this. Solomon, he did it anyway, and he paid a price because disobedience always has a price. Let me say that again. Somebody can say amen with me. Disobedience always has a price. Always. Here's what struck me. Solomon has a thousand options. Some of us go, Wow. So far in nine chapters, Solomon has said, it's empty. It's empty. And here's what struck me. In Proverbs, Song of Solomon, even in Lamentations to a certain degree, Solomon rarely, rarely ever talks about his relational exploits except with absolute disdain. It's just like, it's just not what you think it is. But in all of the books, especially the Song of Solomon, he keeps coming back to this one girl. 
this one girl, this one authentic relationship that was actually filled with love and intimacy. And he refers to her as his beloved, his flower, his heart, his life. Solomon is saying, don't repeat my mistakes. One godly relationship is enough. So let me be blunt. Husbands, you cannot love your wife to the fullest extent of love while you're surfing porn on the side. Wives, you can't love your husband to the fullest extent when your definition of romance comes out of a romance novel. Look at this. Solomon is pleading with us to understand something. Solomon says, for this is your lot in life and your toilsome labor under the sun. Solomon is saying, just so you know, being married is really, really, really hard work. <laughs> Be careful how loud that amen is. I'm just saying, all right? I'll be available for counseling afterwards, all right? So, I mean, he, but he says marriage is hard. And all the engaged people in the room are just like, it's not going to be hard for us. We're perfect. I'm like, yeah, I'll see you someday. I'm just, I'm just saying, all right? This is just, marriage is hard work. If you don't believe me, ask Laurel, okay? Ask my wife. She'll tell you marriage is hard. Because as a young man, I, 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 st- I knew what I thought I needed in a wife, okay? I think every guy does, by the way. We're idiots. I'm just saying, okay? All right? But, but we think, I, I mean, this is what I thought I needed. I needed somebody who would agree with me. Always. I wanted someone who wanted to do what I wanted to do. Always. Okay? I wanted someone who thought I was awesome. Always. Okay? And, and God, in His sovereignty gave me an independent truth teller with a built-in justice system who was on her way to law school before I met her, all right? You know what that means? It means I haven't won an argument ever, (laughs) ever, for 30 years. But can I tell you what I'm thankful for? I am so thankful that God Almighty didn't give me what I thought I wanted and instead gave me what I so desperately needed. My friend Gary Thomas says this, God didn't invent marriage to make you happy. He invented it to make you holy. It's work, but I'm going to tell you something. It's glorious. Solomon's saying, look, just focus on the most important relationships. The first question that I ask a struggling couple that comes to my office is this. I say this, if, if you put the same energy into each other that you're putting into your distractions and your vapor, how much, how do you, much do you think that would change your relationship? Let's keep going. Verse number 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you're going, there it is again, There's neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. So he says it again, just to encourage you. You're going to end up dead. But in the meantime, while you're here, put your passion, time, energy, and your work into building something that will last. Now you remember, for eight long chapters, Solomon's been saying, I'm the richest man in the world, and I'm going to tell you, don't put everything, all of your life and energy into a financial kingdom, because you can't take it with you. 
Financial kingdom, not going to last, but a godly legacy, that'll last for eternity. So Solomon's wisdom here is work with passion and hope and perspective. And here's the perspective that he wants us to have. He's going to talk about it in the next verses. He's going to remind us of this. Remember this, have this perspective. One single event can change your life forever. So put your life investment into something greater than life under the sun. Invest in eternity because your life can change, boom, just like this. Solomon puts it this way. I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare. So people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Here's the summary of Solomon's wisdom. Boy, we need to learn this. Life isn't fair. And you should expect that. Life isn't fair. Expect it. Okay, don't whine about it. That doesn't do any good. But expect that life is going to shift on you. But understand this. With every challenge that comes into your life, it brings with it an opportunity to either turn towards God or away from God, to either move towards God or move away from God. And you get to choose which direction you're going to go because God doesn't move. Okay? So let me help you understand this. About 30 years ago, Laurel and I never saw Bietti's crystalline dystrophy or cystoid macular edema coming. We did not know that Laurel would have the visual challenges that she has to this day. But I will tell you something over the last 30 years. Every single moment that has pressed up against us has given us an opportunity to press deeper into God. And he's been faithful. Is it easy? Nope. Is it challenging? Yep. Is it godly? If we choose it to be. One more little story and then we'll wrap up. Verse 13. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it. Some of your translations say with only a few warriors in it. And a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. So just get this picture. Little tiny town. Just a few warriors. Powerful king comes to the outside. He lays siege to it. This is the way they used to do it in the old days. They wouldn't necessarily come and just try to knock the walls down and get through the gates. They would just encircle the city. No food or water coming in or going out. That's just the way it was. And then they just sat there and waited. They waited till they either starved or dehydrated. And then they took the city. So this powerful force sets itself up. We have no idea if Solomon is actually talking about himself here, if this is an actual experience or not. We don't know. But here's what happens in verse 15. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. Now it's interesting. It doesn't tell us how he saved it or what wisdom he gave. He just tells us the city got saved. But here's what comes next. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are no longer heeded. 
The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. So listen to the point. You ready? Not everything that's being spoken loudly in your culture is true. Not every person with a microphone, keyboard, opinion, or a blog is actually right. Just because a certain belief system or cultural value is being screamed in the streets because it feels right doesn't mean it's right. Better to listen to a quiet, wise person who's tucked in a corner than to be a follower of a fool. Let me be honest with you. In the Pacific Northwest, there are times when my voice feels pretty small and insignificant in the face of everything that's happening in the world out there. There are times when I sit, I read the newspaper the same way that you do, and I, and I see the lifeblood being drained out of our community because I see people exchanging the truth of God for what Scripture calls just a flat-out lie. And there are moments when I wonder, is it worth it and is anybody listening? But I keep coming back to the promises of God that say this. God's Word is powerful. It never comes back empty. And whether anyone listens or not, it's true. It's true. So here's Solomon's wisdom to all of us today. It's better to be wise, saving, and ignored than heralded, followed, and still unbelievably lost. Do you know who... You know what God needs in our community right now? God needs some humble, wise, quiet people that are willing to be bold enough to stand up and say, the word of God is true. The word of God is true. I think it's interesting that <laughs> I honestly don't care whether or not my voice is heard. The one thing I care about is whether or not God saves this city. And may that always be our focus. So we're going to wrap up. Some of you are thinking, okay, finally, nine chapters into Ecclesiastes, I finally got some of this stuff. I finally got it. All right. Okay. I got it. Make it count, have dinner, share the blessing, follow the spirit, focused on your most important relationships, work hard and be content with the right message. Okay. All right. I can do that. And I'm going to start with the first one. Going IHOP. All right. That's what we're going to do this morning. So we're doing, all right, pancakes and bacon for everybody. It's going to be great. I got the first one. That's what we're going to work on. If you look at Ecclesiastes 9, you may be very, very tempted to just go down the list, check all of the boxes and say, I think I've actually got some of this stuff. But here's the hard part. If it is this easy, if it's just about checking boxes, then why is it that life sometimes just seems so unbelievably hard? You're not going to like the answer. Verse 18. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. I read that, I'm just like, so 
The reason my life is hard is, is me? I don't want to hear that. I want to blame it on somebody else, right? It's your fault. But that's true. None of us want to admit that the reason our life is hard is us. Because we bring us with us everywhere that we go. So here's Solomon's wisdom. There's a reason life is hard and the reason is us. And let me apply this for you as gently as I possibly can, but as pointedly as I possibly can. When we bring sin with us, it wrecks stuff, right? The sin of busyness and idolatry, that actually wrecks dinner. Because we're too busy. We're too busy idolizing our connections. And so what do we miss out on? We miss out on the food and the people that are sitting right there in a circle. When we bring the sin of sloth into our workplace, it keeps us from honoring God with our hands. And what do we end up doing? We end up punching a clock and, and, and serving a human boss that we don't like instead of remembering that the Bible says if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't work for your boss, you actually work for God. We bring stuff with us, right, into our relational world. That's why we, that's why we, we blow it up because we're sitting on this side of, uh, of, of this little field that God's given us and then we start looking over the fence going, well, that grass looks a whole lot greener. And so we jump the proverbial fence and get to the other side. And here's the problem with that. You, you wrecked where you were and now you're going to wreck where you just landed. You know why? Because you're there. Now you've just wrecked two relationships, it just doesn't make any sense, right? My 12-step sponsor, John, always reminds me of the same thing. Grant, you got to get this through your head. Wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> We're the common denominator. And that would mean Ecclesiastes chapter 9 is unbelievably depressing unless you remember this simple truth. It's true. We are all great sinners. But he's a greater savior. And he can help us reconstruct dinner. He can help us work as unto the Lord. He can help us focus on the primary relationships. He can do all of this work deep inside of us if we're simply willing to come to him and say, God, I got a problem and the problem's me. And that's why, please don't give me what I want. Please give me what I need. And what I need is the Lord, Savior, and King of my life. So here's your assignment for today. You can actually accomplish all this between now and the end of Sunday. This is pretty cool, right? So I'm hoping the restaurants in Bellingham are just like overwhelmed because the people of God are going to show up. And the cool thing is you came to the early service, so you're going to beat, you're going to beat all the Baptists and Methodists, all the places before they get out, all right? So I'm actually going to send you out. I, I want you to actually do brunch or dinner. Put your phone down. Have a conversation. <clears throat> if God opens the door and you can, pick up somebody else's tab. They can never repay you and that's okay. Go to work Monday morning with a different perspective. My life could change in an instant, but I'm going to make today count. And I don't work for the guy in the corner office. 
I worked for a king in heaven. So all I'm expecting is an honest day's pay for an honest day's work. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to love the most important relationship that's right in front of me. I'll make a pledge to you. I'm going to do my best today to love Laurel like she's never been loved before. I think everybody wins when that happens. But we're all going to work together in this, remembering that it's held in the hands of a very frail sinner. But that's okay, because for every sinner I've ever met, there's an even more powerful Savior. And we can't save this city, but He can. So let's be humble purveyors and carriers of God's grace today. Let's go infect our community with not more meaninglessness. Let's go and infect our community with something that's actually meaningful. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Let's stand. I'm going to pray over your food before you go. It'll be blessed. And then we're going to go do life together. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for Ecclesiastes 9 and the wisdom that Solomon pours out of his broken heart, knowing he had something. It's so many regrets. But God, because of his gift of wisdom, we can choose to live today. So at the end of it, we don't have to have any regrets at all. So God, would you bless food, conversation, work, relationships. God, where healing is needed, May you do the healing where hope is needed. May you build the hope, God, wherever there is sin, would you be a great savior? And God, I pray that even though we may be forgotten, we are praying in faith, believing that you will save this city and this county, not because of our wisdom, but because of yours. So God, may we have the wisdom to point people towards Jesus today. God bless the camp staff that's here today as they sit around tables, as they love on their students and campers this week. I pray that they would take those extra few minutes to dive deep into those meaningful relationships that can change in eternity. Bless them in the work of their hands this week. May there be deep spiritual fruit in Whatcom County because of their love and their sacrifice. God, thank you for brunch. May we enjoy it today. We receive it in Jesus' good name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.